0: Come, Holy Spirit, and manifest Yourself in the preaching of Your Word. Amen. By providence, or coincidence, or... Deborah Layton's manipulation, uh, you will notice the reading from today's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 18, is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And uh, I, I knew that I was going to preach on this uh, a while back. Simply, I took some time out of the summer and I try to do this, where I look at all the readings for the Sundays I'll be preaching and I begin to map out my sermons. And this, these two texts in particular... Really got a hold of me because as I was reading the text from Genesis and Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant, I thought about forgiveness. And in light of these two passages, I began to wonder if I hadn't been preaching on forgiveness in all the wrong way and whether or not every sermon that I had heard on forgiveness, or almost every sermon I had heard on forgiveness, didn't quite uh, match up to the deep need of a struggling human heart. And just on a whim, I decided to Google forgiveness and music lyrics. And what I found when I looked at the search results, that almost all the music, pop especially, written about forgiveness... Was not saying, "Forgive me." What well, was not saying, "I forgive you," but was saying, "Please forgive me." And most sermons that I hear on forgiveness and ask the first question, "How can I find it in my heart to forgive those who have wronged me?" And yet, if you look at music, the world is asking the question, "How can I be forgiven?" I mean, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Right, Teddy P? I lost you. I'm sorry I lost you. Down to Don Henley. Uh, forgiveness is the heart of the matter. Someone you've wronged and you want their forgiveness. And looking at these two passages, uh, it becomes really clear that in order to forgive, we first have to be Forgiven, And in our Genesis and Matthew readings, we see two reactions to forgiveness. Forgiveness held out. I forgive you. And two reactions that are commonplace in the world. One, which we find in Matthew's gospel, is apathy. I don't really need forgiveness. I'm not that bad a person. Thank you for your offer of forgiveness. But if I do get forgiveness, it's because I deserve it. But in Genesis, we find a very different reaction to forgiveness, disbelief. How could anyone forgive me, much less God? What I've done is unforgivable. We see in the parable of the unforgiving servant that he doesn't feel like he needs forgiveness, that he's not that bad of a person. Now, the debt that he carries, as we saw with an elderly Craig Smalley, is just so insurmountable. It's the equivalent of $40 million. And his role as a servant of the king, there's no way that he could possibly pay it back. And yet, what he says to the king, in great arrogance, is, I will pay you everything. Talk about a lack of self Awareness, not being in touch with the great debt that he owes this great king, and yet still, this merciful king cancels all of his debt. And instead of going out of the, it's a wonderful phrase, the reckoning, right? I'm going to start using that with my children when I bring them in. It's time for the reckoning. And in spite of the great mercy and forgiveness where you would think you would go rejoicing out into the city, uh, he sees a friend and notice the first thing he does is he grabs this friend by the throat and then says, pay me what you owe. Not a, a changed heart, but in spite of the great debt that he has just been forgiven, he sees somebody with a minuscule debt. And calls them to account. You see, this unforgiving servant is like many in the world who hope that God grades on a curve. I don't know about you. I love reading People Magazine and Us Weekly. Because just when I'm feeling pretty bad about myself and I think, Andrew, you're a terrible human being. uh, Those magazines let me know that there are people worse than me. (laughs) And that's why they sell so wildly. And yet here we have an illustration of what Jesus says when he says, before you start pointing out the speck in your neighbor's eye, think about the plank in your own. He sees the speck of debt in this other guy without acknowledging the own plank that is in his own eye. And what Jesus is saying when he tells us that is that your sin in your life, it's not actually about judgment unless it's about self-judgment. Your sin in your own life ought to bother you a whole lot more than somebody else's sin in their life. If you've ever had the tiniest speck of dust in your eye, what does it feel like? A plank. It's minuscule, but in your own eye, you will stop at nothing to have it removed And that is an indication that the human heart has been changed. When you have that self-awareness, that you feel that the speck in your eye is actually a plank. And so when you see somebody else with a speck in their eye, it's not grabbing them by the throat and saying, Hey, you're a debtor just like me. But a changed heart that shows forth compassion and mercy. But what? What happens, though, when you realize the great debt... Of sin in your life that is not just the accumulation of sin and acts in your own life, but actually a condition where these things come welling up out of your own life when you find yourself overburdened and you think, Woe is me, I can never pay back the debt. And in fact, what I've done is so awful, nobody could ever forgive me. What then? Joseph. Here with his brothers, I don't have time to go into the story of Joseph Joseph and his brothers, but look in Genesis but suffice it to say, Joseph's brothers did something really awful to him something unforgivable and yet every time they are confronted with that sin, with that dastardly deed Joseph's reaction without fail and without condition is I love you and I forgive you But they can't believe it. They can't believe that Joseph could actually forgive them. And Joseph knows that in his own heart. What does it say in Genesis? When they said to Joseph, forgive us, it says Joseph wept. Why do you not believe that you are forgiven? Because the very person doing the forgiving of Joseph's brothers is a clear and tangible reminder of that dastardly deed. No matter how many times they're told they're forgiven, they can't get away from it and they can't get around it because there's Joseph. A constant reminder of what they have done. And many of us have an elephant in the room. No matter... How many times we've been told that God has forgiven us through Jesus. We simply cannot let go of what has been done because we're always reminded of it. Even in the quiet moments of our hearts, it comes rising up. And no matter how hard we try to put it away, it can never be put away. When I was 16, uh, my friend Katie Schultz had her 16th birthday party at her home. And someone in the Schultz household, in their infinite wisdom decided to serve grape juice, and Katie's mother, Mrs. Schultz, had just purchased this beautiful oriental rug. Uh, The corners were still sort of folded. You could tell that it had just been unrolled not that long ago, and uh, being me, I was forcing around, and I spilled the entire contents of that grape juice on that brand new oriental rug, and the air was sucked out of the room. And Mrs. Schultz found herself on her hands and knees, scrubbing and dabbing furiously, saying, It's okay, it's just a stain. It's okay, it's just a stain. And of course, at first I thought she was talking to me, but she was, in fact, talking to herself. And no matter how hard she scrubbed, she couldn't get the stain out, and I remain, to this day, close friends with Katie and for the duration of high school, every time I walked into that television room, there was that stain. And nine times out of ten, and that's not an exaggeration, Mrs. Schultz, when I was there, would come in and she would look at me and involuntarily look at the stain and then look at me again. And she would remind me all the time, Andrew, I forgive you. I forgive you. But as if, it was as if that grape juice stain cried out I know that I'm forgiven but there it is and no matter how many times she told me I was forgiven it was impossible for me to believe there is a wonderful word that we use in our communion service that says that we pray to God for the remission of our sins not just the forgiveness of sins But the remission of sins, because what remission is, is forgiveness. I forgive you, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, what he has done on the cross, he not only forgives our sins, he remits them. He gets down on his hands and his knees and he scrubs up the stain of sin so that when you walk into that judgment hall, it is as if the stain had never happened. There is no elephant in the room. And Jesus looks at you as beloved and guiltless and blameless. That is what Jesus Christ does for us. And the only thing that will enable us to forgive others is for us first to receive the forgiveness and remission that is offered to us by Jesus' death upon the cross. For the debt has been paid, even a great debt. We, who have been convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, realize that we are much worse off than we thought. We understand the plank in our own eyes. And so the question does not begin with, How do I forgive? But, Have I been forgiven? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to a place where we are overwhelmed by the debt of our own sin. But in that desperation, we find grace greater than even our sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who takes our sin and separates them from us as far as the East is from the West. Have we been forgiven? Have our sins been remitted? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.